Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Um, We're going to talk about pornography on today's episode. It's a topic that we touch on every now and then. And once in a while, I run into someone that's doing great work and I feel impressed to bring their work um, to you, our listeners, so that more connect with um, that person's work. And, And that person is joining me via Zoom is Sarah Brewer. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. And um, let me just read some of the content on Sarah Brewer um, Instagram. And that's at Sarah Brewer Coaching. We'll link to that in the show notes. But it says, she's a coach, quit porn, shame-free, sex positive. She has a podcast called Overcoming Pornography for Good and a website, sarahbrewer.com. And this podcast would be for those that are working to put porn use behind you and also those that are parents or local church leaders um, that want better skills to help others put porn use behind them. I think I've been open with my story when I was called as a YSA bishop in the LDS church. The first person outside my door to talk to me was talking about porn and I didn't have a lot of skills um, that I gradually picked up and continue to pick up to help others. I wish I'd met someone like Sarah Brewer and was familiar with her content. It would have given me better tools to help others. And so um, that's kind of my hope. Let me, the way I found Sarah Brewer is people just kept mentioning her in subsequent, in prior podcasts or messages and and then finally, one day I went to her website and she was, she had these testimonials on her website and one of them was Koji Aoki, um, wonderful young man that grew up in our neighborhood who talked about his 10 year journey with porn use. And then this very short window, once she connect with Sarah Brewer to put that behind him. And I reached out to Koji and asked him if he'd be on the podcast and he's on episode 544. If, if you want to scroll back and hear his full story, you can also go to Sarah's website to see his story there. But now I felt like, let's get right to, you know, the headwaters. I don't know if that's a good word, but kind of the person who's bringing um, this expertise into our community. So is that okay for an introduction, Sarah? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's great. I, I love speaking to leaders too, and to congregations and I've done, I did a training with Leading Saints recently, and what Good. I'm going to talk about is similar to what I talked about with Leading Saints. So I think it's applicable, like, especially I want people who are struggling with porn to hear this, but anyone who feels a little bit of a spark, like maybe this will help me with other people in my life, it, parents, leaders, friends, anyone. So it can be so, so beneficial for, for everyone because, you know, it's, it's not like a, it's a pretty common thing that you hear about, especially you know, you're in the LDS space. And so mm-hmm. it's, you're, you're, you're very likely going to have people in your life that are struggling with this. And um, that is really true. So um, what, what I thought we'd do is maybe I'd ask Sarah to share a little bit about her story, how she got in this space. That might be helpful for others that are considering their path, what they'd like to do for a career, and then um, talk about um, the principles that she generally shares with others. And then we want to make sure, you know, at the end of the podcast to connect with Sarah's resources um, that are on her website. She's a number of resources. um, If you want to go a little further that she offers to you that that can be helpful. So with that, Sarah, tell us a little bit about how you got in this space. Yeah. Okay. So I served a mission and when I came home, I had the best mission experience. I loved it, but I really, really struggled after my mission. I had a lot of just emotional, mental. I wasn't very emotionally healthy. I didn't, I didn't feel much of a purpose anymore. It was really difficult. And I found life coaching. I found you maybe heard Jody Moore's name. Mm-hmm. I found Jody Moore. Yeah, loved she- her. She gave me so much purpose. She helped me just feel good. I became a mom just three or four years later and was struggling with that and coaching helped me with that. Anyways, I was going to BYU at the time and and getting my degree in therapeutic recreation. And I was finishing up my internship and about to go get my license. Like, I do not want to do that. What I actually want to do is life coaching. And you know, let's talk to return missionaries because that's how it really helped me. So I just started 
throwing stuff out on Instagram, connecting with people, working with people and with return missionaries, what came up over and over and over and over again was, you know, after a few sessions in, they're like, I have to tell, like, this is really what is so painful for me. And I'm kind of scared to tell you, but can you help me? I'm, I'm struggling with pornography. And I quit before my mission, but I came back and this is really difficult. And, you know, in the meantime, leading up to this, I had become very familiar with Jennifer Finlayson Fife, who I saw yeah. you just interviewed. I love her. Yeah. Oh, she's been such a big inspiration for me. Um, had done coaching certifications around buffering and all these things. And so we started working on it and the process just worked really, really well for people. Um, really well for people. And so I was sitting with this. I remember a moment sitting in my parents' basement being like, okay, Sarah, are you going to focus on pornography and talk about pornography? That seems like a big topic. But I just, like I had this moment where I just knew and I just felt very, very called to put all of my effort into that and energy into that. And it didn't feel scary and it didn't feel overwhelming. And it's because of the things that I know about porn and what it really is and, and how it is. Anyways, we'll talk about a lot of those myths here in a minute. But uh, anyways, yeah, I just felt feel very called to do it. And I love the coaching. And then I also love the other side of that, which is marketing and podcasting and getting to be kind of in charge of my voice in the world. And um, that's how I got into it. That's cool. I love hearing stories. And um, there's so many stories where someone just feels an impression. There's kind of a lot of fog around how that's going to work out, but they just kind of move in that direction and they don't, then a period of time passes and they kind of look and go, wow, this is, this is really working out. And I'm grateful. And often some of these roads, there's no one that's really further down the road doing exactly what you're doing, um, which I think is true of your the space you're in, there's very few people that are doing that. And so I think that's just a cool story that gives vision to younger people that wonder if they can sort of make their way forward and courage to try things that maybe haven't been tried before. So that's yeah. cool, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It felt like a, like a God thing. It was a God thing for me. That's a good thing. Yeah. Well, you want me to get into my, into yeah, the content. I'd love content? to go for it. <laughs> I told Richard, I said, I want to spend most of my time talking about these things, um, teaching about pornography and how to quit and all these things, because I think this is much more useful than anything else I could talk about. So what I typically like to start by telling people is that if you're struggling with porn, your porn use does not make you any less of a person, any less worthy as of a person, any less worthy of a happy, fulfilling, beautiful A lot of people with pornography, um, they think that they're stuck in it because they're not good enough, because there's something wrong with them, because they're not righteous enough, because they're not strong enough. And that's just not true. The reason you haven't been able to quit is not because you're not enough or good enough or smart enough or righteous enough. There's just kind of been some, 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 we need to learn a little bit more about it. We need to get to the root of what's really going on. I have people all the time, you know, who come work with me or listen to my podcast say, this is a lot easier than what I've been trying in the past. And it's because we get rid of a lot of that shame. And when we look at, you know, real tools at how to look at the root of it, there's so much hope. This is not something you have to be stuck in forever. And there's, there's a very hopeful path forward. So that's my main thing that I want to bring across in all of my speaking engagements is just that there's so much hope here. And let me show you why. <laughs> I really agree oh. with that. And I love these words you're using. You're not less, your worth is set. Somebody in one of my podcasts said, your worth is set. Everything else is experience. And our doctrine, mm -hmm. um, I think that's consistent with our doctrine because of our, yeah. our divine nature. And so I love the way you help people focus on that and de-shame as part of that. That's great. Yeah, I just had a text. I was just texting um, one of my coaches who works for me and he was saying some of my clients are having a hard time like feeling worthy and 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 reconciling that with temple worthy and am I worthy? And something that I teach is there's a difference between being worthy as a person and being temple worthy. And we have to be careful that we don't get those mixed up. Temple, you are 100% worthy as a person, enough as a person, good as a person, like just because you're a child of God. and then temple worthy that's just something different we've got to be careful not to get those confused 
And that's a good, you know, that's a whole other podcast, but I, I've kind of yeah. in my mind wondered in Latter-day Saint culture, because we have these hurdles that we work towards to be temple worthy, if that creates a challenge to feel just worth um, by our divine nature, and if we're kind of chasing always being worthy by hitting checklists and getting to the next mm-hmm. thing, and I don't have an answer to that, but I've wondered that in my mind is, is perhaps this worth thing more of a challenge in our culture because of expectations we put on ourselves or the culture puts on ourselves? But that's kind of a tangent. I think about that on my yeah. long walk, Sarah. Well, I, I had a conversation with Julie Hanks about it once, and she said, I would love if we would use like temple prepared instead Ooh. of temple worthy. It seems to be a little bit of a better fit. <laughs> I like that. I That's a great idea. Yeah. So getting to the roots, the roots of porn use, there's three I'm going to talk about. The first one is escape and buffering. And if you've been introduced to me before, you probably have heard that word buffering before. But if not, I'm going to explain that. A myth that a lot of people believe about porn is that porn use is about an overactive sex drive or it's about being rebellious. The truth is that unwanted pornography use is really about buffering which is a term I used to um, describe actions that you you take to avoid negative emotion. So there are a whole bunch of things that you can use to buffer. You can use sugar to buffer to escape emotion. You can over shop, scroll social media, Netflix, all these things that we do to escape emotion, kind of to numb out, right? And so that's what pornography is, is it's an escape from negative emotion, way to numb out those things that come up like stress, Loneliness, resentment, anger, shame is a big, big one. Pressure, boredom, even just feeling antsy. It's a way that you've escaped that and your brain's used to escaping emotion with porn. And right, we, we know it doesn't work long term. <laughs> it's a very short escape, but, but that's what it is. It's not that you have an overactive sex drive and it's not just that you're rebellious and not good enough. A lot of the things that um, a big mistake a lot of people do as well here is that they try to solve pornography with what I called band-aid solutions. So filters on phone and computer, which are great, and there's a place for those, but it's not a long-term solution. Using willpower, trying to replace that urge for exercise, trying to focus only on being more spiritual. These aren't going to get to that root of the problem which is escaping the emotion. Those are more Band-Aid solutions. So instead, um, a much better way to quit porn long-term to really hit the root of this problem is to learn emotional management, coping skills with these emotions, look deep into those, see what's going on, be willing to, and and gain the awareness of what's really happening. Um, Emotional resiliency, which is this ability to feel emotion. A lot of people, especially I think men in our in our um, society, are taught to repress emotion and not feel emotion, and that actually creates more unwanted porn use or other buffers, over drinking, all of the things, and then also healing emotional wounds. So, again, just those three things that we want to focus on instead: learning emotional management, emotional resiliency, and healing from emotional wounds. Um, you know, I'm right now. I'm thinking of, I can still see the face of that guy that walked in my office in 2013 after I was set apart and he wanted to talk about porn. And um, I went to Band-Aid Solutions, Sarah. That's all the things in my tool basket. Um, Mm -hmm. Sort of white knuckling it. We set up a calendar of how many days. Um, We gave um, scripture, increased increased sort of spiritual tools because that's the only thing I kind of knew in my tool book. Which are good, which are, I like spiritual things, but I often yeah. recognize this isn't the path for long term. I'm putting this behind you. So, this is just really good content. I and the band aid solutions are the things that maybe are easier for me to understand or recommend or mm-hmm. from my worldview, but I recognize that you're helping us understand a long term solution here. Yeah. So and is, as leaders, too, right? I mean, it's not your fault. <laughs> My dad's a YSA bishop. Actually, he was just released. And so I always tell people, I'm like, I love these bishops. And especially these YSA bishops, just the salt of the earth, just doing 
everything that they can and have so much power and 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 can help in so many ways and like like you weren't taught what to do with porn and they weren't taught what to do with porn and that's okay and we're learning now and we're figuring it out now that's great um but listeners this is a couple words i haven't used a lot before i like that sarah's using root i love the principle that to get at the root, but just so you're the escape and buffering is the content is the vocabulary that Sarah is using, and I think that's really I like the vocabulary there: escape and buffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the the normalizing of emotions that you're doing in this part of this process. Often, what we might call negative emotions, but if we and for men, some of those emotions aren't aren't sometimes socially acceptable mm-hmm. for men to feel these. So I've, I love the way you connect to the dots that to re sort of deal with these emotions often that leads to, you know, acting out in inappropriate ways. And that's back mm-hmm. to escape and buffering and understanding the root. So keep sharing this first root more. thoughts. Yeah. So one thing I always like to bring up around here is the emotion of shame. Because, and this is actually why I was so passionate about talking about this and wanted to go into this is because I saw, especially in RMs who are the sweetest, like, again, salt of the earth um, people, like there's so much shame and you can see clearly the patterns that happen when we feel so much shame around it. The shame increases pornography use always. It never, ever helps us quit porn, but a lot of people, they don't know what else to do. And they're like, well, I have to tell myself that there's something wrong with me or else I'm not going to quit. But it's actually the opposite that usually makes it worse. So shame comes from this belief. There's something wrong with me. What is wrong with me? Uh, There's something wrong with me, right? We even say shame and you can start to feel it in your body a little bit. Um, Shame is never from God. And so there's a difference between guilt and shame, right? Guilt is I did something wrong. It's like a little signal. Hey, that didn't really align with your values. Shame is there's something wrong with you. I always think of um, like Adam and Eve and they take the fruit. And the first thing that Satan says to them is hide, avoid, hide. Like, what have you done? You should hide yourself. The actions that come from shame are hiding and avoiding. We learned that from Brene Brown's research. When you feel shame, you're always going to hide and avoid. And so I think it's really fascinating. That's the first thing Satan said to Adam and Eve when they took the fruit or slipped up is hide, avoid is shame. I think it's very, we have to be very, very careful that we do not mistake the voice of shame as the voice from God. Another way we can know shame is not from God is looking at the fruits, right? The fruits of shame, hiding, avoiding, buffering with more porn use, right? Because when you're feeling shame, it feels awful. You do not want to feel that. And so if you're used to buffering with porn, you're like, well, I already slip up. I'm already the worst. There's already something wrong with me. Maybe I can escape this at least for a few minutes. This is how I, I, I know I can you know, get rid of this for at least just a minute. I'm going to view more porn use. And then the cycle continues. View porn, feel shame, hide and avoid, buffer with more porn, feel shame. Just the cycle continues over and over and over again. So I could talk about shame for long time. We do a lot of work around shame. One thing that I think is important for people to understand too is that it's not either shame or justification. Sometimes people get stuck because they think, well, if I'm not feeling shame, then I'm just going to go view porn all the time. And those are two very opposite sides of the spectrum. What I like to help people get to is somewhere here in the middle. And so there's also this middle ground of commitment, of worthiness of hope of um, a a lot of different emotions we don't have to be on either sides of those spectrums in fact either side of those spectrums are not going to get you the results you want you're going to stay stuck in porn if you're stuck in shame and you're going to stay stuck in porn if you're stuck in justification i like the way you set up porn i mean shame and justification no one's ever done that before that's that's really thoughtful um staying on shame because i think it's such central Talk to parents that have got, mm. that, you know, I've got younger kids at home and kind of want to get ahead of this in the sense that they want to create a family culture that doesn't create shame around porn use. They still don't want their kids to view porn. Um, mm-hmm. They don't want to 
but they also want to create a family culture where they're not creating shame and that their kids will talk to them. If indeed mm-hmm. porn use comes in their life, talk to parents that are trying to create a culture, a non-shame culture, if that's a word. Yeah. So one of my favorite resources is, is the Instagram account, Shame Free Chastity. And she is one of my friends that I've, I've talked to quite a bit. And she is actually a researcher around sexuality at BYU. And that's what she's going to school for. And what the research is showing is that the best way to protect your kids from porn is to have open sex talks and to make it a very normal part of conversation and make sex not a shameful thing, Um, which is really interesting, right? Because sometimes we think it's going to be the opposite, but it's not. All the research is showing the more open you are, because I think um, the research shows too that a lot of kids, they, they go to porn at first just because of curiosity and education. And so if we can let them know that they're safe to come to us instead, um, so, so that's the first thing that I would recommend is having consistent, making sexuality just a normal part of life that you talk about and, and learning how to do that in a way that it, it, it isn't just like one big talk that's everyone's afraid of. <laughs> and then the second thing I recommend is teaching your kids that sexuality is the same thing as other emotions and we don't have to be afraid of it. So anger right? You're working with your kids all the time on anger. You're teaching them, okay, yes, it's okay to feel angry. And when we feel angry, we don't bite our brother. We don't kick and punch and scream. It's the same thing with sexuality. Yes, like you're going to feel these things and that's normal. That's a good thing. And just because you're feeling these things doesn't mean we have to respond in these ways that we don't, that that aren't healthy and safe for you right now. Um. Talk to, that was great, talk to um, church leaders that want to create a culture in their area of influence, a young women's organization, young men's mm-hmm. award, where they're trying to just be more thoughtful in their vocabulary about this. So people that are working through porn use will be more likely to put it behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully here, as we keep going through Roots, it'll also help this too. But Good. Um, just being very careful how we talk about people who struggle with porn, right? Like, I always think of this video I saw growing up that was well-meaning, but it was, I think it was, you know, one in one frame, the guy's looking at a computer and, you know, he's looking at porn is what they're trying to convey. And then the next scene, like the family's leaving him and, oh, <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, oh my gosh, how much fear and shame is in that messaging, you know, especially for teenagers that are learning and growing and trying to figure things out. What we have to remember is like, uh, like this younger generation, we have the internet all around us. There's no way that we're going to be able to avoid this. There really isn't. And so the goal isn't for kids to never look. The goal is that they learn, learn how to be better, learn how to control themselves. Um, and their emotions learn safe and healthy sexuality and that they learn how to do that without hating themselves, <laughs> that they learn how to make mistakes and get better. The, 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 I think if we can change um, our mindset on trying to be perfect and trying to help all the kids and the youth be perfect, instead trying to help them grow and feel grace and love, and that's going to help them change so much more than these like hard hammer, like you look again, here's your punishment or... Um, you're going to have this taken away if you look again. That creates a lot of pressure and shame and usually leads to more porn use, which I'll probably talk about here in my second, third point. Yeah, that's that's excellent. I think about the content I've heard from church people about this subject, and I, I would agree with what um, our leaders teach, that porn's a sin, and um, the goal is to put it behind us. Um, but the way we've talked about it, generally, now that I've sort of tried to understand this better, creates shame. Mm-hmm. And the last last church leader I heard talked about was in the plague of pornography. And I sat in that meeting and I thought about any of the good men or good women in that meeting that mm-hmm. are, are viewing porn and trying to put it behind them. And I'm not sure that helped them. <laughs> I think they, yeah. you know, just it was, it was, I, that's my impression of that. Maybe some people were helped by 
that jolting message and they needed to be jolted. But my experience is people are jolting themselves enough. That's my their, experience too. They're their own worst enemy and that's and that's Satan taking them to really dark, shame-filled areas. To, and then to your point, it's really hard to pull out of that. So yeah, It's keep, what I see, especially because I have worked so much with people in LDS and other Christian spheres. That's the biggest thing that keeps people stuck in porn is the shame and the self-hatred around it. And then you're not going to talk to him about it, which just right. <laughs> like the Sarah right. Brewers in the world. So, um, and other yeah, trusted the, people in their lives. Yeah. The plague thing. I, I heard this from my brother-in-law. I love this way of thinking this, it this way. He said, if like, think about a plague. So we think about COVID, we just had COVID. There's a plague going on in the world. If you got COVID, if you got the bubonic plague or whatever, would you go sit in your room and be like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me for getting this plague? What did I do? I am the worst. What is wrong with me for getting this plague? No, you wouldn't do that at all. You'd, be, you'd go to a doctor. You'd be like, help, I have the plague. Wow. And I, I kind of like to think of porn in that way too, you know, like especially, you know, younger generations, you're born into a world where it's everywhere. You're born where there's, and, and we're in a very hyper-sexualized culture. Looked at it. We're going to be okay. We're going to find some ways to quit. And it doesn't mean anything's wrong with you necessarily. Love that. Are you ready to go to route two? Yes. Let me make one quick note on physiology versus morality. Good. This seems to be really helpful for leaders as well with the shame stuff. So there's a difference between physiology and morality. Physiology are normal, natural body responses. Morality is what you do with those body responses. So physiology, hunger cues, tired, sexual urges. It is not a sin to have a sexual urge. And a lot of my clients get stuck in that and it keeps them from making progress. Morality comes with what you do with that. And so if we can help our people understand that too, it'll help them get out of the shame and help them with these other tools I'm going to talk about in a moment. Good. So root two, over desire. Um, over desire, how I explain this is uh, maybe it's a witching hour, it's 10 p.m. and you just always have urges for porn at 10 p.m. or um, every time you're out of town or whatever, just these things that uh, trigger us. A myth that is common here is that um, desire and even compulsion for pornography means that your brain is broken. That is a myth. That's not true. The truth is, is that over desire is learned and can be unlearned. And it's actually a sign that the reward system in your brain is working correctly. So I love to illustrate this with Pavlov's dogs. If you've taken any basic psychology course, you've probably heard this before. Um, Pavlov, he had a bunch of dogs and he trained them to salivate at the sound of the bell. So what he would do is he would give the dogs a treat and ring a bell, ring a bell, give them a treat, ring them a bell, give them a treat, ring a bell, give them a treat over and over and over again. And pretty soon these dogs started to associate that sound of the bell with a treat. So they would salivate when they heard the bell. They didn't even need to hear, see the treat. They would just salivate whenever they heard the bell. Now, the other part of this, um, experiment, that's really empowering is that Pavlov wasn't just able to train them to salivate at the sound of the bell, but he was able to train them to stop salivating at the sound of the bell. And what he did, it's very simple, is he rang the bell and didn't give him a treat, rang the bell and didn't give him a treat, rang the bell, didn't give him a treat over and over and over again. And the dogs were pretty miserable when this was happening for the first little bit, but eventually they stopped associating that sound of the bell with the treat. So they would hear the bell and not even salivate. We can do this with pornography as well. There are a bunch of triggers, uh, emotions that you know, you've used porn to escape from. And so your brain is just going to remind you anytime you're feeling anxious. Oh yeah, remember porn's the solution. Witching hours, certain places, whatever that is. You've trained your brain to want pornography at these times. And you can train your brain to quit this over desire as well. How we do this, a few really important key things here is like if Pavlov would have just stopped ringing the bell for a few years, the dog still would have started to salivate at the sound of the bell two years later. And so they had to go through the process of hearing that bell and not getting the reward. They couldn't just avoid it. And so this is a mistake a lot of people make with porns. They just try to avoid it. They try to avoid any triggers. They try to avoid 
any feelings. They try to avoid anything, which makes sense, right? So you don't know what else to do with it. But a, a, a really better long-term solution is to go through this process of having the urge, hearing the bell, right? Um, and not giving yourself the reward to decrease that over desire. How we do this um, is through mindfulness. And this is what all the studies are showing too. My friend Shane Free Chastity talks about these a lot on her page that mindfulness is the best um, solution to quitting porn, the best, the best thing that you know we can do to really help us quit porn. So when you have an urge, you have three options. You can one, use willpower, like go, go, go away. I should not be feeling this. There is something wrong with me for feeling this. You, what is wrong with me? Go away. I do not want you there. What this is like, it's like holding a beach ball underwater. And what typically happens, right? If you hold a beach ball underwater, what's it going to do? It's going to pop up. A lot of resistance. It's going to pop up. That happens with emotions and with urges too. So when you hold that urge under the water, happens as it pops up. And so people swing back and forth between willpower. And then the second option, which is reacting and giving in and indulging. So we can willpower for a minute and then we just give in. We can willpower for a minute and then we give in. There's also a third option when we feel this urge. And this is what I focus a lot on and teach my clients a lot of is we can learn how to allow this urge to be there without giving into it. It's not pushing it away. It's like instead of having tight shoulders, we're just breathing, letting it be there, letting it make its way through your body, feeling the discomfort in it, but not demonizing it, not being afraid of it. Just letting ourselves feel it the same we would with anger, the same we would with whatever emotion it is. And when we do this, it actually allows that to pass through our body. It doesn't get stuck. I talked a lot, so I want to pause for a moment in case you have questions. That's powerful. Um, When I remember Koji's story, that's the thing you taught him that was the deal, the game changer for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, 10 years, he went through you know, these other strategies. And then you taught him that principle and that was everything for him. Yeah. Maybe not everybody has that dramatic of a story, but for him living with the urge, living with the emotion, the mindfulness of just processing that. And then your vocabulary of letting it pass through you. Mm -hmm. Um, I've certainly been in the camp of the white knuckling it. The longer you can white knuckle it. I think that's probably the same as the, you know, willpower and, but I love your visual of the beach ball under the water. Um, that it just, you know, yeah, there's probably some success stories of people white knuckled it and eventually, um, that got them to the finish line. I wouldn't want to diminish that as a, mm-hmm. but my experience is that is the beach ball and what you just taught is the, is the long-term path to healing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really powerful. And it also requires not feeling so ashamed of those emotions when they come up. Because if you see those emotions and you're afraid of them and you're ashamed of them, you're going to automatically willpower out of them. Yeah, I like so that. I like normalizing triggers and, and emotions. I think I've been using those as synonyms and just that's mm. part of life. And that's a normal thing. That's where our bodies are wired. We're wired for all the things that you're explaining. And it's just sort of, you know, once you take the shame out of that, it does, it is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. What this requires too, that I like to make sure to bring up is that it requires getting out of all or nothing thinking. So I have to quit right now, cold turkey, or I have to do everything perfect right now. That, that keeps people stuck in the willpower uh, given cycle too. And so instead, just taking it slow, growth mindset over perfection mindset, step by step by step. Number of days without porn isn't necessarily a great indicator. A better indicator that I use with my clients is how many of these urges are you sitting with without giving into them? How, how many times have you practiced this mindfulness skill? That's going to help you make a lot more progress than just trying to willpower it for a number of days. Okay, that's... So recognizing... That's pretty powerful. Um, So many people I've worked with have had a, I've heard one guy told me he had a calendar up in his room and would check the days on the calendar and his roommate even Mm -hmm. saw they were kind of trying to support each other and thought there was some good in that. 
but I just recognize, but you, you, you didn't give up the calendaring idea, but you didn't make it about um, not viewing porn. You made it about managing the urges. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And how that is a better a measure of your long-term success in the space. And that's really unusual. I agree with that, but I wouldn't have understood that five or six, seven years ago. So that's a yeah. really powerful principle, listeners. And as part of this sort of paradigm shifting I'm seeing in our community of how to talk about this subject. So that's really helpful. Yeah, good. Yeah, thank you. We can still quit porn. Absolutely, you can. And we can drop the shame. And I like to think of porn, like seeing the porn use is like the tip of the iceberg underneath. There's so much more. There's so many other things causing it. And so just trying to focus on that little tip of the iceberg, the porn use, only focusing on that isn't going to help us when there's all this stuff underneath, like urge management, buffering, some of this identity stuff we'll talk about. That's great. So the third route, last one I want to talk about is identity. Something that I hear often from clients is this belief that this is something they're going to have to struggle with forever. And maybe it's told to them by parents or leaders or just well-meaning people who really are trying to offer some support, right? This is something you're after with forever and I love you and we're going to get through this. But the truth is, is that many people quit porn and it's not a life sentence. It doesn't have to be a life sentence. You know, I, I like taking people all the way through that because a lot of people get stuck here where, well, I can manage this. I can learn how to manage my urges and I can live a great life and struggle with this. We can even take it a step further where you can really become someone where this isn't a struggle for you anymore. And people do it and you can too. It's it's just something, you know, we probably don't hear about it as often as we hear about people running marathons or becoming athletes or, you know, whatever. You know, people don't want to talk about their success quitting porn quite as much as you would maybe want to talk about these other successes, but it does happen. It does happen, which is why I love when I have clients like Koji and Quinn and other clients who will share their stories to help build that belief for people. How we think about ourselves really, really matters. So if you want to become a runner, you have to start seeing yourself as a runner or at least start seeing yourself as someone who can become a runner. If you want to be successful in your company, you have to see yourself as someone who is competent and able to thrive at the company. You're not going to be able to come that to become that if your identity isn't there. And so it's really important that we apply this to pornography as well. You have to be able to start seeing yourself as someone who isn't going to struggle with porn forever, who doesn't struggle with porn, who um, is not stuck here forever. That's a really, really important kind of last step. One thing I like to mention here is that all porn users, um, sorry, let me say that again. A myth that a lot of people believe about pornography is that um, porn use equals addiction. Um, But a truth here is that porn use does not always equal addiction. And we have to be really careful, especially on a community level to not, and I don't, I don't know if we do that as much as maybe we did when I was growing up, but you have to be really careful not to just assume addiction in people. I love Down H. Oak's quote. It was in an Enzyme article. I don't know. Do you, do you recognize this? I do recognize the yeah. quote. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great one. I'm going to read it because it's great. I love sharing it because we recognize that not everyone who uses pornography willfully is addicted to it. In fact, most young men and women who struggle with pornography are not addicted If the behavior is incorrectly classified as an addiction, the user may think he or she has lost agency and the capacity to overcome the problem. This can weaken their resolve to recover and repent. It is important not to label even intensive or habitual use of pornography as an addiction because that does not adequately describe the the circumstances or the full nature of the required repentance and recovery. I really like here that he says it's it's important not to label even intensive or habit, habitual use of pornography as an addiction. Because sometimes people think, well, yeah, but like if you're having some compulsions or or you're doing it out of habit, then isn't it just an addiction? And no, not necessarily. We don't have to label it that way. So I my, I, my approach is very, um, 
oh, what's the word? I'm very result focused. And so I like to let people um, choose to use that label if they want, if it's helpful, but I let individuals decide whether or not to use the addiction label. And I let them know that just because they're struggling with it or having compulsions for it, we don't have to classify it as an addiction. And I have a lot of podcast episodes where I just went into this with another Christian researcher and how they've started to change a lot of the nuances there that you can listen to if you want me to hear me talk more about it. But here's what I typically say to people. If it's helpful, use the addiction or use the label. If it's unhelpful, you can drop it because what I hear people say when I ask them, like, how do you feel when you're addicted? A lot of the responses that I get are, I feel out of control. I feel hopeless. I feel fearful. I feel like I'll never be able to change. I'll feel like I've gone too far. Think about the identity we have around that, how that can really hold people back. Um, from changing. And so a lot of times my clients will change that phrase, like I'm addicted to, I have a habit. And even that is so liberating and so freeing. What we really want to avoid here is we want to avoid fostering an addiction mindset, which is like an I, I can't change mindset. I'm just stuck with this. This is always going to be here um, versus that growth mindset that I talked about. We want to avoid creating addiction identities for people who that's not necessarily true for them. We want to avoid young teenagers thinking that they're addicted because they're interested in porn. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that story of someone who's, you know, going through puberty in the brand new age of internet and 14, 15, 16, and they looked at porn and they feel awful. And then they hear that they're addicted and then they're, they think they're stuck with it forever. And this follows them up until their twenties and thirties. And it's, it's, a uh, it's, it's sad. It's sad. Uh, we don't need to do that. And we also want to avoid people and members feeling hopeless and stuck. So that's why I, I really like to mention this and, and bring this up. I I love that quote from Elder Oaks and, and your content around that. And yeah, and especially it's such a shameful space that so many people's minds go to really dark places uh, when they start porn use or can't overcome it. I've mm-hmm. always thought Satan doesn't win with porn use, but Satan wins if you can trap us in the lie and the shame and the things you're describing. So that's exactly. where, um, that's kind of where I think Satan wins more in the mindset and the isolation, and the shame and the labeling of addiction and the self-loathing and all the things you're describing. And, Exactly. And so that's what we need to break. Yeah, that's that's like one of my, the main things that if I could just get it out to the world would be you you can't hate yourself into change and you can't pressure yourself into change and you can't self-loathe yourself into change. Wow. It's never going to happen. Wow. Keep sharing. I think our listeners are just picking up so many nuggets that are helpful. I am. Yeah. Um, well, th- those are so. Those are my three big um, roots here that I want to talk about. I do just have a few key takeaways, things that I want to mention at the end. Is that there's nothing wrong with you if you're struggling with porn. There is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. You are not too far gone. You're going to be okay. This isn't going to follow you for the rest of your life. You're not a less worthy person, individual, child of God, because of this, you're going to be okay. It makes sense that you're struggling with porn. There's no shame here. And there's a way out. You can quit and it can be a lot easier than what you've put yourself through in the past. It doesn't have to require the self-loathing and the hatred and the willpower cycles that are exhausting. There's a much easier way. You can do it. I have a client, Quinn, his name's Quinn. He's LDS. I bet he would love to talk to you, Richard, if you ever want another person. But he quit at the age 63. So he struggled for 50 years and quit at age 63 with these tools. And he loved it so much. He became a life coach. He's retired, but he wanted to be a life coach. So he's working in my program now, working with similar people. And I love using his story because, you know, it's never too late. You're never too old. Never been too much of a problem. 
There's a lot of way out of this. And the way out of this is healing, is healing. Who, who is it? Oh, Givens, Fiona Givens. Love her. Same. She recently spoke to a group of coaches and, um, oh, did she say this? Why do I think? Anyways, I, hopefully I'm not quoting her wrong. But she, she talked about the word trauma. And well, they, they talk about this a lot in their book is just healing, this mindset of healing. And she talked specifically a lot about trauma and you know the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of Christ is healing. And how we change is we heal. That's how we change. That's how you're going to quit porn is by healing all these things under the surface that are going on, not by trying to muster up more willpower and tell yourself that you're not good enough until you quit. <laughs> Love that. Um, is it okay if I ask you some questions? Sure, of course. I'm kind of still in the YSA world, so these answers might be a little different for a married couple, but yeah, I'm sure you get mm-hmm. these questions. Um, okay, I'm a YSA young man, I guess, or a YSA young woman, and I'm viewing pornography. Um, I'm starting to get in a serious dating relationship. Um, we're kind of to the point where we're exclusive, but we're not engaged. Should I, should I solve this on my own, um, and even, or should I open up to my dating partner about um, my porn use? If you're in a pretty serious relationship with someone, I would always recommend to when you feel safe to open up about it. Um, problems with spouses around pornography typically a lot of the pain and the suffering comes from feeling lied to and people are very supportive and um, willing to work through stuff with you most of the time it's when they feel lied to that a lot of that hurt and pain comes from so you don't have to tell someone right away right you don't want to tell someone when you first start dating but if you're getting into an area where you could maybe be engaged it's going to be different for every relationship and you're going to know, you're going to know the answer, like ask yourself and ask your intuition and ask God. But we always want to push you on the side of transparency and committed relationships. I, I like that answer. And I, somebody taught me the term material trauma Yeah. Um, for somebody that's been in a marriage and there's been something going on and there hasn't been open transparency. I like your word that um, the behavior is partly the challenge, but the, the, the trust is perhaps one is big, bigger mm-hmm. and there's real big betrayal trauma. Mm-hmm. Talk about, okay, Sarah, I'm, I'm not viewing porn. I'm back to being a pretending to be a YSA. Mm-hmm. I'm not viewing porn. I'm in a pretty steady relationship. My partner just opened up about porn use. I've heard some church leaders actually say you should run from anybody mm-hmm. um, that you're dating that is working you know, that is viewing porn. Um, so give me some counsel on what I should do. I do not agree with that statement that you should run from anyone who is viewing porn. I know the most amazing people. And like, I want to cry right now because seriously, like the most incredible people, amazing, wonderful, wonderful, very worthy husbands, fathers, all the things have struggled with porn in the past. Porn use is not an indicator of, of, well, whether or not they're going to be a good partner. There's a lot of, it's like that iceberg tip, right? What's under it? What's happening? Are they willing to change? Are they willing to come to agreement with you with what you want in your marriage? Um, are, they, are they coercing you into stuff you don't want to be doing? Are they following your boundaries? That's a much better indicator than whether or not they're looking at porn, in my opinion. I share the same opinion. It took me a while to get there, mm. but just like you, to sit with the credible men and women working to solve porn, more men than women, in my experience. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I wrote in my book, and I'll reference that a little bit at the end of the podcast, just that there, there are some of the men in my YSA word that are working to solve porn that if, that if theoretically they're asking for my daughter's hand in marriage, I would grant it mm-hmm. because I know who they are mm-hmm. and I know this process is refining them in a way, um, compassion, empathy. I know they're going to be a better husband and father because yeah. of this road. 
And there's some Absolutely. men there's some men that I wouldn't let my daughter marry that didn't have any porn use. And yeah. so these these sort of checklist rules that we might say in our potential spouse. Um, being a virgin is another one that I probably would have said I want in fact I did say this back in my day, I want to marry a virgin. But I think the cure I wouldn't say that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I did marry a virgin if anybody knows my wife and wanting to hear some backstory. <laughs> Sorry, my wife. Um, I would look for virtue. Um, and I would look for the core bottom of the iceberg character of that person. So um I think Satan wants to see us as second-class citizens if we've messed up in any other way. And I think the Savior wants to see us as first-class citizens and take advantage of our atonement. But the re- I don't, I've noticed a pattern that those that work really hard on these things often develop wonderful skills, um, Christ-like attributes and gifts and skills mm-hmm. that help others. I've also felt porn may be peaking because of life coaches like you but also as the people that have worked through porn, it's so different compared to my age where this is the first generation dealing with sort of 24 seven that I did never have to deal with. And so this is going to be the generation to be the fathers and mothers, the leaders, and they're just going to have better skills, um, much better skills than I had in my generation to help others. And so um, that future husband may be just the right father for his sons because he said some experience in this space. Um, so yeah. I, I just, I don't like this checklist. And I would, I think a spouse needs to be give permission if they feel like it's the right decision to end a relationship because someone is viewing porn. I would, I would say you've got to figure that out for yourselves and get personal revelation. <laughs> but outside voices that try to get between you and personal revelation with a blanket statement, I don't think is helpful. And you've got yeah. to really see the person more thoughts on that come to your mind, Sarah? Yeah, I, I just love what you're saying. I, I love what you're saying. And even in more committed relationships, there are yeah. people who who they find out their spouse is viewing porn and there's some betrayal trauma and they're still willing to work through it. And it's, it ends up being, I have friends who like, they have the most beautiful marriage relationship even after like huge betrayal trauma stuff and other friends who it was the most healthy thing for them to leave. It's just not as simple as did they view porn or are they viewing porn? There's so much else that's under there that you have to look at. It's really, really helpful when you understand that porn is a buffer. Like porn is a way you escape emotion. And so it, it's like the same thing, you know, maybe you overeat to escape emotion or maybe you, whatever it is to escape emotion. Um, it doesn't mean that they're a terrible, gross person. It's their coping mechanism, literally. And I would, yeah, I would assume you have stories of people that porn use was found out by a partner in a married relationship, and mm-hmm. it caused a lot of pain at first, but it may have yeah. been the path to healing their relationship because they, there was just stuff at the bottom of the iceberg that was not being addressed. Yes. And their skills in their inner relationship weren't there. It was just mm-hmm. a lot of stuff not being talked about. And so this, they had this blow up in kind of a painful, negative way. Um, and you're right, some may, their marriage man, but some it may be, they look back and go, that was painful, but mm-hmm. that was the beginning of healing our relationship. And we are in a so much better place now yeah. because of the skills that have come into our marriage. So mm-hmm. I would assume you've seen stories like that. Yeah, I'm going to name drop my friend, Lindsay <laughs> Pullman, who this is her story and it's amazing. And she is so great at helping the women who are coming out of this betrayal trauma. And she works in my program because I just, I beg her to come because she's so good. And um, this is her story and what it requires. Cause I mean, we, we could spend another hour talking just to spouses, right. Who find this out. And there's a lot there. It it, um, requires you also being willing to heal yourself. And so you're both participating in your own individual healing while healing the relationship. And it, it's hard work and depending on the dynamics, it can be a really beautiful healing thing together. But even if it's not together, it can be a really beautiful healing thing for yourself to learn what you want in your life and in your relationships and gaining power for yourself and, and healing yourself. And it, it just, it doesn't have to be this, my life is ruined thing. I tell my clients this all the time. Like 
this can be a catalyst for you having a really beautiful, healthy, healed life. Uh, I love that. And I, I use this quote a little bit. Um, it's the Apollo 13 quote with Gene Kratz when everything seems to be going sideways with Apollo 13. And he says, in the moment of r- r- real difficulty as a true leader, with all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. So mm. couples like you're talking about may look back and say, well, that was our most painful hour. Apollo 13 looked like it was crashing and it was just the very worst case scenario. But it may, after they get through that and, and use all the things that you and the atonement and others, and just they may look back and say, that was actually our finest hour. We don't want to relive it. <laughs> um, right. Right. <laughs> but we it was our finest hour because it put us on a path to healing. And so I think of the savior and the way he brings hope into the difficult moments of our life. And I would, I love the word hope and I love the word being positive. Other thoughts that come to your mind. We've still got a little more time, Sarah. Just a, just one quick, as I'm thinking about women who might be listening to this, maybe their spouse is going through this. Also don't want them to feel like it's their responsibility to heal the relationship because it's not. It's not their responsibility and it's not their fault. It is not their fault ever that their husband is looking at porn. Sometimes um, couples get misguided information that, well, you need to have more sex with him and then he'll be okay. That that will not solve the problem at all. It's not your fault. Um, A lot of women feel very self-conscious, like they're maybe they're not enough or they aren't doing enough or they don't look good enough. It has nothing, nothing to do with that. And I know it's one thing for me to say, Another thing for you to like feel in your heart. Um, but if you're experiencing this betrayal trauma, which is very real, it is very worth it for you to get resources and to invest in help for yourself, not just your partner who is trying to quit porn. A lot of women think they need to put all the money and all the resources and all the time into the partner. If, they, if the partner just gets better, then everything's going to be okay. You are just as worthy and deserving and in need of some help as you're going through this process too. Uh, more thoughts that come to your mind. That was great. <laughs> hmm. Um, I love that. I don't that. know, I Richard. Really I love think that because in our culture, <laughs> I think our natural reaction when something goes wrong is that it's our fault. We have a kid that chooses a different path when we find mm. out. Um, just people are making decisions around us. I think it's easy for us to internalize that and say, and perhaps women do this more than men in general, just something is wrong in my formula here and it's my fault. And, and men can, in the situation we're talking about with men viewing porn and women not and becoming aware of that, I think it's, they, I, I get where they would think this is my fault. And a man, and I don't know what that vocabulary that gaslight or sort of doesn't take mm-hmm. responsibility could put it all, you know, isn't able to look inward and say, no, this is my problem. And versus, yeah. I'm not going to deal with this. Um, it's not my problem. I'm, I'm just going to put it on the innocent spouse. And that just adds trauma on trauma. And that, I don't think, I think that just makes God cry. Yeah. <laughs> but I yeah. don't want to create shame there when I say that. Um, but it's, yeah. I'm not comfortable with men that, you know, not only are looking at porn, but then, um, make their wife the villain as part of the process. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's a, uh, it's a very valiant thing to take responsibility for what's going on in your life. Um, that's not shame. Taking responsibility isn't shame. It's very valiant. And most of the clients I work with, they, they aren't doing that because they're people who want to get help and are like showing up, but um, that absolutely does happen. And um, I'm glad you brought that up. So if anyone is in that position, they can see, see it for what it is. One, one thing that came up though, to that I, I have had it happen and come up with my clients and especially because, you know, your podcasts, you know, we talk a lot about LGBTQ plus communities, individuals, there is a whole other level around being gay or looking at gay porn or discovering this sexuality aspect that can happen for people around pornography. And that's a, that's a whole other conversation. But I did just recently do an interview with TJ 
Tom, Thomas? Yeah, is, he's terrific. He's amazing. I love him. And yeah. we talked about that for a long time, specifically LGBTQ plus and pornography. And his story is amazing around this. That's that's on my podcast for listeners who might be struggling with that. I assume there's perhaps a double shame formula um, challenge here. Is there shame, no. a culturally developed shame that I don't think exists naturally that's a learned shame around not being straight and then um viewing porn gay porn if you're not straight if you're gay or lesbian um and then the sort of the double shame i'm making up vocabulary here that makes perhaps that even a harder road i've always felt porn viewing is a window into someone's sexual orientation versus something that changes someone's sexual orientation some people sort of say well that's why you're not straight is you got all messed up with gay porn um, so I don't believe that I'm saying no, that that's... I'm still inviting people not to view porn, um, yeah. but separating sexual orientation porn is important, but I love your sort of double shame that some people feel. Yeah. That's one of the myths TJ talks about in that episode is pornography does not create a different sexual orientation. It's a window into it. And if you're noticing that, oh wait, maybe, maybe there's some stuff here that, you know, and then there's the the shame that's culturally learned about having these learning how to just make friends with your sexuality and not demonize it and love it for what it is, is actually one of the best ways to stop unwanted porn use. Because the unwanted porn use happens when we really hate that sexuality and we hate that part of ourselves. We just want it to go away. We just wish it wasn't there. That's I've never quite linked some of that together. I've sort of linked the two categories, but I've never linked them the way you did and the way TJ did. That's very helpful. Um, yeah. yeah I've, listeners, check out TJ's podcast. Is that on TJ's channel or your it's channel? It's online. So go it's to online. Sarah Brewer. She's got a list of podcasts at sarahbrewer.com, I think. Mm-hmm. And you can check out that podcast. Um, you know, I sometimes talk about, if it's okay, those of you, I look at our doctrine and I look at the prodigal son just for a moment. The prodigal son is sort of the worst case scenario of sinning. He sinned against his father. He sold his inheritance and he went to the faraway land in a life of riotous living. And I think Jesus sort of set that up as the worst case scenario to make sure this parable applies to all of us. And in that moment in Luke, the prodigal came unto himself. And those are kind of God-given moments where he wasn't full of shame. He was actually hopeful, and he, but he, he decided to come back to his father, but he made that he sort of decided ahead of time, I'm coming back as a second-class citizen, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be a servant. Um, and then we know the parable, the father created no shame around him coming back. There was no groveling. There was no cold shoulder. I think the Savior set that parable up to be the most dramatic, that when we come back, that we have a loving Savior or loving Heavenly Parents that wrap their arms around him. And that father tore out of the field and ran towards his son. No shame. Zero shame. Put his arms around him, kissed him. And the young man kind of looked at his father and says, why are you treating me this way? I've sinned to give in heaven and thee and no more to be called thy son. And then to signify he came back as a son, he put a ring on his finger and a robe on his shoulder. And it forever answers the question, Satan wants us to come back. Satan doesn't want us to come back. (laughs) Um, He wants to keep us in that whirlpool of self-loathing you've talked about. Um, But we do have those moments that are sort of God-given. I'm going to try to come back. Um, He wants us to. So that to me is the most power. It's to me, it's my favorite parable in the scriptures. It helps me understand the character of heavenly parents, our savior, who's already paid the price. One of the shame feelings you have is I've messed up again, so I'm just adding to the Savior's burden. Um, Every time I mess up, it's just, and so that's not our doctrine. (laughs) Our doctrine is he's paid the price and he loves to forgive. Um, Mm. And it doesn't, it's a great gift he's given. So um, that's the way I look at it. I also like, you know, an institute teacher taught me in Isaiah about, though our sins be as scarlet, they be as white as snow. And a lot of us don't believe that. They believe, well, a lot of repenting on my part and a lot of forgiving on the Lord's part, it can get me to a light shade of pink, but they become pink Latter-day Saints. And they go, oh, she'll never want to date me. I messed up before my mission or 
he'll never want to date me. I was sexually active and I'll never be the kind of mom in Zion that he's probably looking for. And we sort of, sort of live below our privileges. Um, use Elder Uchtdorf's talk and we see ourselves as pink Latter-day Saints and not, and not clean and worthy, even oh. though we may not be perfect. And so um, I think there's doctrine there that supports this non-shaming approach that Sarah's talking about. It's not selling out our doctrine to talk like this, listeners. I think what Sarah's doing is using our doctrine the way Christ would use it to help us find hope and healing to move forward. Mm-hmm. And there's so much pain in this space, and it's unnecessary. And so I'm really great. And I'm tenderhearted because I've met those people that you've met with, and they're the best of the best. Yeah. So any final thoughts, Sarah, before we sign off? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I like to look at results, right? And so I, I see things, I see fruits as signs from God, right? By, by their fruits, you shall know them. And that's how I know that shame is not something that God wants us to use to change. Because the fruits, and I see this, when you look at the feelings and then you look at the actions and then you look at the results from that emotion, the fruits are never good. I love that formula for finding out what is from God and what is not. Love that. So listeners, check our show notes out for Sarah's Instagram. I'll tag it when I post on social media and her website. Please check that out. Um, After you've done that, if you want to, I have a book out there called Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture. And chapter four is ending porn use. And it's pretty consistent with the things Sarah's sharing. And that chapter may be helpful to you um, as you're working to get better principles to solve this. But Sarah Brewer. Um, thank you for the work you're doing in our community and beyond Um, and just your courage to step in this space and taking not only your coaching skills, but your communication skills and your marketing skills. Your Instagram is terrific. And so coming from a marketing standpoint, um, you're very gifted in that space and helps people connect with your content. Thank you. But listeners act on the impressions you felt on how to do better in the space. Don't make a 10 checklist thing to do. Don't overburden you with Mm -hmm. many things. Just act on the impressions you felt to do a little better. And this is Sarah Brewer and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm